You're listening to the Mayor Greg Fisher Podcast. As the mayor has said many times, public safety is the city's number one priority. That means supporting police, yes, but it also has to include addressing the root causes of violence. In this episode, the mayor speaks with one of the city's principal leaders in those efforts, the Reverend Vincent James. He's the city's chief of community building. Think of it like a cabinet secretary. He's responsible for departments like parks, health and wellness, youth detention services, and our Office for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. Reverend James is also pastor of Elam Baptist Church in the Parkland neighborhood of West Louisville. I'm delighted to be joined today by Vincent James. He's our chief for community building, an office we created when we came into office some seven and a half years ago to put an emphasis on building a strong community where we're all in this together. Uh, Vincent James brings really unique attributes to this job as both a business person, a pastor in our community, and a man with the heart of gold. So welcome, Vincent. Really glad to have you here. Thank you, Mayor. I'm glad to be here. So tell us, if you would, as our city's chief of community building, you work with our Office for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. They've had a very big year. So if you could give us an update on some of the work that they've accomplished, that'd be great. Thank you. I'll be glad to do that. Um, Thanks to you at earlier this year for the budget, uh, we had an increase in a, an initiative, a cure violence initiative that we wanted to implement. And we had a $1.9 million increase uh, in the budget to implement and execute our cure violence initiative. And uh, we are now uh, in the phase now, in the most exciting phase, I believe, as we gone through the initial phase of getting all our agreements together, working with our partners, um, getting ready to now launch in the training our cure violence operators are going into the sites. And um, so it's really exciting to see now that the work is really getting ready to happen um, before November the 16th. And I can say that day with confidence as we get ready for the training that's going to be coming forth that week. Well, I want to thank the council, too, as they learned more and more about the Office for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods this past year. Uh, they're really focused on this work. So tell us a little bit about cure violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, cure violence is a... Uh, an initiative that actually looks at from a public health lens to how you go into communities and interrupt violent behavior. Um, and it also changes the social norms as it relates to violence. And so you have interrupters that are credible messengers that actually go into the community. Uh, they're n- typically from the community, have great relationships within the community, and they connect with the young people in the community uh, that typically are highest at risk in involving, being involved in violence. Uh, build relationships with them, and many times they already have good relationships with them, to help them to be able to see that there's other alternatives. And then we're able to reconnect them to some of our other programs and initiatives and partners uh, through that interruption process uh, by connecting them to programs such as ReImage that's just really just got a boost this year, and um, also being able to connect them to some of our other partners. being able to see how they can grow and develop, not just in terms of being on the streets and learning the streets, but now they have an opportunity to learn how to be productive citizens in the community and give back. And so we're really excited about that opportunity. Yeah, it seems like more and more people are understanding that uh, violence is a learned behavior. Yes. And so for us to approach it through a lens of public health, much as like if we had an epidemic in the community of some type of health epidemic, we would try to interrupt that. Right, absolutely. And that's, of course, what our interrupters are doing, and we've seen great success in some other cities that are trying to do this. And it's also an example of you know our six-pillar violence reduction program mm-hmm. that 
really most people don't realize it. Only one pillar has to do with enforcement. enforcement. Right. The right. rest of it has to do with intervention, prevention, community mobilization, like right. pure violence. And the sixth pillar is reentry. Right. So we just received, or we've just started, uh, a great new program on reentry that's been funded by the Keenan Charitable Trust. So mm-hmm. we want to demonstrate that investing in folks when they come out of prison or jail is a much better value proposition than just saying, okay, you're free now, figure it out. So right. can you tell us a little bit about the Thrive Fellowships? Yes, the Thrive Fellowship is an exciting initiative that we're launching through a collaborative effort, uh, partnership with the Keenan Charitable Trust Foundation and Cities United and Metro Government coming together uh, to initiate this fellowship with, which involves civic engagement, uh, providing young men who've been involved in the justice system or currently involved in the justice system uh, with misdemeanor offenses that we can get them going through a 24-month program uh, where they're actually gonna be surrounded with wraparound services, they'll receive a stipend, Uh, for housing, education, uh, and food, um, and receive a stipend each month being involved in this initiative. Uh, So these programs are not just set up for an individual just to train them to get a job, but how do we really effectively uh, encourage the whole person and really looking at how we can help them not only to move beyond their past, but also heal from their past. Uh, because with the services and the training that they're getting, uh, they're in their second week now, and I'm excited to see, and, and I've already gotten some incredible feedback from one of the participants uh, who is actually utilizing some of the training that they received in the first three days about anger management. And they were sharing with them in terms of techniques how to utilize and diffuse uh, situations that could explode. And he said he immediately, it was in the third day of being in the class, and he went home had a situation that happened at home, and uh, he started learning, repeating what he had learned in the class. And he said it, it, it saved him from normally he would have gotten into an altercation, but this time he was able to walk away from it. And so we're, we're seeing just instant results uh, from what we're seeing. And we also encouraged about what that's going to look like for the future. Well, programs like Thrive and Cure Violence, you know, they one, they speak to my heart. Mm-hmm. But secondly, for folks that might think this all kinds of – sounds kind of soft. Right. I'd say think about recidivism rates. Recidivism rates, the going back, being rearrested, going back into jail, can be as high as 50 to 70%. Right. Costs right. about $30,000 a year to house someone in the jail. Exactly. Doesn't it make more sense to invest in folks when they come out of jail so that they lead a productive life and are contributing taxpayers and we're yes. not expending money as well. So that's what so many of these programs are. Mm-hmm. You mentioned reimage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a 95% success rate with reimage right. in terms of people getting mentor, job, mm-hmm. degree. So it just demonstrates that if you can fund these programs, success takes place. So we got to change that narrative uh, right. in the community. Uh, one of the ways you're trying to change that narrative is with the ambassador program. Right. The ambassador program is is another unique program that actually engages the citizen, everyday citizen, who just has a, a heart and a desire to change. Or they might have already some initiative that they already are engaged and involved in, but don't really know how to take it to that next level or how to build capacity. Through the ambassador program, we take our citizens through um, a four-hour training, typically it's on a Saturday, uh, where they're learning about um, violence as a public health issue and understanding the context of that. They're learning about how to build capacities within their organization. 
as well as they're learning about the work of the city and what the Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods what would do and how we engage uh, our partners in community and how we are able to connect them to community. But not only that, uh, we also have a ambassador networking night, which has really been instrumental, I think, in the growth of the program overall. We host that once a month where all the ambassadors who've been trained come together and they just share in their experiences, they share what they've learned, uh, they learn about other ambassadors and figuring out ways in which they can partner. So we're seeing just some unintended, right. you know, fruit from this experience that we're seeing in going forward. And now we're even figuring out now, how do we even scale it more? Well, these networks uh, build a belief system to me. Right. It's like, okay, I'm not in this alone. Right. Other people are thinking about this. And when they connect with each other, you can see the energy that comes out of it and the creativity that comes out of it for right. new programs as well. So I really applaud the work that you all are doing on that. A lot of folks don't realize that many of our programs are funded by outside groups. Uh, yes. Philanthropic groups, uh, uh, government agencies. So we've got to compete uh, for some of these grants that we receive. Absolutely. And oftentimes winning or losing is based on have you proven whether or not you have the capacity to achieve or have you right. seen results before. So we had a major announcement recently about reimage. If mm -hmm. you could tell us a little bit more about that grant, how we want it, why we want it, and how it ties into our city's violence prevention strategy. Yes, the reimage re grant uh, we just received from the Department of Labor, a $1.3 million uh, grant we were awarded um, to actually engage 200 additional young people. Uh, so phase two. Phase two. We call it Reimage 2.0. Okay. And uh, because of the success that we experienced with the first one, the first two point, I mean the first Reimage program, um, because we were able to uh, reach out to over 400 plus youth uh, to go through this program that has a 95% success rate, recidivism rate. That that means that only 5% of the of the young people that have gone through that initiative uh, did not re you know, return to to jail, and so. And, and these were youth that the, had involvement right. with the criminal justice with, system they, already. Exactly. They had already been involved in the criminal justice system. So we're looking at 95% success rate in this program, and it's a proven evidence-based program. And so when reapplying again, it was a no-brainer for, you know, uh, those who were looking at the work that we've proven that we were can be successful. So how do we scale it more? And so we'll be able to do this now and being able to hire additional coaches for the young people that will be going through. And what we also see, because we recognize that these type of programs and the youth that are participating, young people that are participating, uh, it's not linear. A lot of times that we'll see young people coming back because they may have gotten off track or they need some additional coaching and support. And because they built these relationships, right. it's a natural connection for them to be able to come back and continue to get that additional support as well. Yeah, and for people that are listening to us that – maybe haven't had the life experiences of some of our reimage participants to understand how difficult it can be mm -hmm. uh, when you don't have an environment of any expectations perhaps or you don't have a strong structure around you whether it's family or any kind of discipline network if you would to stay on right. task uh, what we see with reimage is just with a little bit of focus and some love and some mentoring and attention beautiful things can happen and what we hear back right. all the time from some of our young folks in it is they've never had that kind of support before right and when you give them that type of support and the young people that type of support they not only 
rise to the occasion, but they thrive. They're not just surviving now, but they're learning how to thrive in life. One of the young men that actually spoke um, at the press conference as we were sharing the news with the community about the Reimage 2.0, the $1.3 million that we received, uh, he was a participant in the first initiative. And he, this young man actually started his own business and actually hired uh, young people from for the Summer Works program and just a real, real incredible young man, but he also inspired others. And there were several other young people that were talking about their experiences and how it's literally changed their life because it gave them a safety net that we normally see in a lot of healthy families uh, and healthy communities. They have those safety nets. When you make a mistake, you're able to fall in the net and get back up. Well, a lot of communities don't have that type of safety net. This program provides that. So when these young people are going through it gives them the security of knowing that they have a loving and caring adult, that even if they make a mistake, nobody's going to give up on them. We're going to keep coming after them until they experience that success. And, and I love that. You know, oftentimes you hear in the community, it's like, well, we need stronger families. Mm-hmm. And I say, if you're in the mayor's office, you're in the reality business. Right. You know, and yes, we do. But not everybody has a strong family. So right. it's up to all of us in the community to surround each other with that type of family support. Right. And we see that time and time again with reimage. Now you you also have a are creating a bigger picture as it relates to supporting youth uh, in addition to your many responsibilities you also see at the Metro Parks. Right. And they play a role in not just lifelong learning and safe neighborhoods but also youth development. So how do you see Metro Parks fit into this whole picture? Metro Parks is really critical when you think about, you know, we have over 120 parks in our park system. Uh, we have 17 recreational centers that are spread across the community. So when we think about this opportunity for lifelong learning, um, through those initiatives in our recreate parks and recreation centers, um, through the initiatives in one of the, my newest and favorite programs is our ECHO program mm-hmm. that actually uh, is through our forestry division uh, in our park system that actually has a bringing the forest to the kids and giving them an opportunity, kids in, in urban areas that never may have experienced forestry, uh, understanding that be giving them the opportunity to be able to learn more about it and expose them to what I like you to hear you call vitamin N, nature. Mm-hmm. And so it's through those types of programs and initiatives that are engaging the entire community that connects the, the community. I think our park system has one of the greatest opportunities to connect our entire city uh, together by experiencing the park, experience what they have to offer, and learning about nature and learning about the experiences in our recreation centers. We have arts uh, that are provided in our recreation centers and uh, after-school programming. And this continuous learning, even after school, is an opportunity for young people who may not have that setting in the home. They can come to our community centers and feel that love and that support. We have an incredible staff that that are totally dedicated to the work that they're doing, that every day um, they're reaching out to our young people and mentoring them and nurturing on them and really going above and beyond the call of duty because it's not just a job for them, it's their passion. And so when it's your passion, it's easy to work. No, you see it come out every day with your team there, and it's inspiring to see the focus that they've had. We're competing for a couple national grants Mm -hmm. right now with them as well. I feel really good about our chances. Uh, You have another uh, large department (laughs) that you oversee, and that's our public health and wellness department. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had a lot on their plate this year and have really 
responded in a quite impressive fashion. Uh, and these are challenges that come up that oftentimes are not in your strategic plan. So right. tell us a little bit about public health this year. Well, one of the things, one of the challenges we had this year um, was a state emergency of uh, hepatitis A breakout that uh, broke out in our city. It was really announced uh, back in October, November of 2017. And our public health department rent, went to work right away. Um, they set up uh, weekly emergency meetings and they had the teams together. Uh, and the way that they approached it uh, has really become a best practice for the country. Uh, the CDC has uh, rated our health department with a gold standard in terms of how we address the public A, I mean, help uh, hepatitis A uh, epidemic. And so now we're seeing on a downturn. And uh, but how they originally went about going after those most vulnerable populations and focusing in on the homeless popula population and those who are incarcerated and f making sure that they uh, receive the vaccination. And then from there, they went to restaurants and, and the strategy and approach in terms of addressing it, being able to know the numbers each week, um, being able to use those numbers to see how we were progressing and being successful at it and communicating, uh, communicating on a state level as well as a federal level uh, really created a best practice for the country. And so now we're getting phone calls to ask us how, we're, how did we do it? And we're able to share that great news of our success in terms of, of seeing the, the decrease in hepatitis I cases each week. So an area that's started obviously before this year and has been quite a challenge for us, we're seeing some improving news, but still it's a huge problem for us in the United States, and that is just a scourge of uh, opioids and heroin. Right. And so public health and wellness has obviously been really engaged with that. So if you could tell us a little bit about our substance use disorder plan and other ways we're trying to attack this evil. Yes, the substance use disorder plan is uh, a 10-point plan that's focused on bringing in the entire community and engaging them in the process. Because one of the things that we recognize that uh, as the health department, it's not just government that's going to be able to solve this problem. It has to be the community uplifting this whole initiative. So uh, we develop a coordinated plan uh, entitled Coming Together, Hope, Healing, and Recovery. And looking at that, identifying ways that we can prevent and reduce uh, youth substance abuse, increasing trauma-informed care, reducing the stigma around substance use disorder, and improving, helping to improve job placement as well as uh, providing opportunities to uh, make expungement affordable because we recognize a lot of times that creates a cycle for people uh, who are suffering with substance use disorders. And, and also being able to measure the quality of treatment programs that are out there. And so these initiatives and these 10 points that we're really focusing on, we have a lot of collaboration in the community with partners that are helping us to address this issue as a community-wide issue and not just a, just a public health issue or a government issue. It's a community issue that we're coming together on. And we're seeing you know, some incredible opportunities as we're leveraging these relationships uh, being able to see the partnerships becoming more effective because we're not working just in silos addressing these issues, but we're working, looking at it from a system standpoint, how we're addressing the issue. And we've seen some results. Our uh, overdoses, I hate to talk about one of them, but our overdoses are down about 35% year mm -hmm. over year. Uh, you can ask why that's happening when you take a look at our Nar Narcan administration. Right. At the fire department, they're down 20%. Uh, LMPD is down 50%. So we're seeing some people, I think, get 
frightened by the fentanyl that's out there and heroin that's become yes. so deadly. Uh, we are seeing a slight uptick in the use of methamphetamines on the streets. So, you know, you're constantly chasing this illegal drug activity. And not only is it a public health issue, it's also a, a violence issue for the community. So right. I commend you and your team for just really sticking at this. It's uh, what I love about working with you, Vincent, is that you're, you're a multi-skilled person. And as we know about this job that we have uh, in our office is that you're expected to know the community. Mm-hmm. local government, state government, federal government, all the politics within that. Right. And you're also supposed to be able to manage and lead. Exactly. And so you've had an interesting career, I think, that's really prepared you for the job that you have, the great leadership job that you have. Could you share a little bit about your career with us? Yes, I actually had an opportunity just to share with a group uh, that's here for national youth convening here in the city. And um, I have a very interesting background that actually prepared me for this role that I didn't even know existed. But this, I, I, I share with people that I get to wake up every morning and love what I'm getting ready to go and do because I get a chance to impact individuals' lives. But um, my career started out at, at GE, GE Appliances, uh, where I had various, uh, various uh, careers there from our operations manager to engaging in our Six Sigma initiative. I was a black belt at, at GE um, and a manager, operations manager at GE. And so I had a, a lot of different varied experiences and training and development opportunities. Uh, but while I was at GE, I also um, was working in a church part-time. And um, from working in the church part-time, I actually got called to church to pastor. And so I was a bivocational pastor working full-time in GE and working in the church as a minister of education. And then always at Elam Baptist Church? No, no, it was actually at Bates Memorial Baptist Church um, as a minister of education. And so um, I was working during the day and and then doing what I could on the weekends in terms of the church. It was a very small church. Was Bruce Williams the pastor? He was the pastor at that time. He was the pastor at that time. Uh, I actually started working there when I think he was, it was his second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's now been there for 32 years. So <laughs> it was a long time ago when we was working together. Um, but I served as a minister of education there. And then um, I got called to the Elam Baptist Church to pastor um, in 1995. At the same time, I was working at GE and I was, my career was blossoming there. Um, and the church started growing at Elam. Uh, and so I was doing both and seeing exciting things happening in both my career as well as uh, working in community. Uh, but that's something that I've always loved in my heart was community work. I was uh, re- reminiscing about a time that I started an entrepreneur program at Base Memorial when I was the, the Minister of Education. I was 21 years old, started this entrepreneur program teaching young men in Smoketown um, that lived in the housing projects how to start their own businesses. And uh, one of the young men is actually working with Jefferson County Public Schools. Always lift him up. His name is Del Quan Dorsey. Yeah. A lot of people know him in the community, sure. but he was one of our one of my participants. That was my first, you know, community program at 21 and engaging in that through ministry. And so uh, when I got called to Elam in '95, uh, the church was exploding and growth was taking place. And I decided that I wanted I was going to leave corporate America, leave the private sector to give my life to the community, serving the community, and working um, in the church. And so in doing that, I was just never satisfied with doing one thing because I'm always used to doing multiple things. So I started getting more involved in community as long, along with pastoring. And then it was 2012 that a, a life-changing, defining moment happened for me. 
there was a triple homicide right outside my church. I had was in my office that day. I'll never forget it, May 17, 2012. I heard rapid gunshots, um, and instinctively I just ran out because it, it's in my community. What's happening? What's going on? I ran out the door and ran down the street, uh, saw just people panicking. It was mayhem. And I saw two young men. One was lying on the, on the ground in front of me on the sidewalk. Uh, the other was lying on his front porch. They had just shot each other. And I saw, I saw uh, the blood coming out of their bodies. And when I looked at and saw who they were, they were two young men that had been involved in a pro- youth program at the church some seven years prior. And when I saw that, I said to myself that I never wanted to see another young man uh, or young woman die in our streets. And so I immediately went to work. I said, I'm going to work with anybody who wants to try to solve this problem. And, uh, and at that time, that next day, you called a meeting with all the pastors and leaders um, and said, what do we need to do about this problem? And, and you said, it's a community problem. And it's not a silver bullet. I'll never forget those words. You said, it's going to take all of us. And you put together the task force, and I served on the task force. I said, that's not enough. I want to see this thing all the way through. And from that task force, the recommendation, everybody was saying, you know, uh, the mayor, this is just going to sit on a wall and collect dust with all the other task force recommendations. But through your leadership, you ensured that it was going to take place, and you created the Office for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. And so I started volunteering, working with Anthony Smith, who was the first director. And so whenever he called, I was there. And uh, created a, a significant partnership with us. And so from there, working and volunteering, uh, be, I, through the work in community, a group of pastors that um, were elders in the Interdenominational Ministerial Coalition saw the work that I was doing and asked if I would serve as the president. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw the work that they were doing. I saw the work that was happening in the community and what I was doing. So it was a great fit for me to take on that leadership role. And so we got a chance to partner with Metro Government, um, the Urban League at the time, Ben Richmond was the president and CEO, and I was the president of IMC, and we created the Zones of Hope. Uh, That was the initial program project that we all three worked together on. And so from there, um, continuing to volunteer, um, I started working more in the office and volunteering, and then uh, Yvette Gentry, had asked in terms of, would you like to do more than just volunteer? And um, she said, the mayor has an idea in terms of some things that he wants to do, and I think you would be a good fit. So I started working in the office on a part-time basis as a faith-based liaison, and uh, which part-time turned into full-time, because yep. you can't do this work part-time and be effective. And so even though I was working part-time, I wind up was working 30 and 40 hours a week. And, um, and I'll never forget in terms of just the excitement it was just to work in that department and being able to give back in the community and work and, and engage the community. Um, and then Yvette uh, Gentry retired, and she said, you know, I feel like you would be a great candidate for this position. And, um, and I was unsure about it because I didn't know all what it, what it entailed. I just knew about the Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. And then I'll never forget on a Saturday, came in your office and spoke with you about the position. I read up more about it. And I said, this seems like a perfect fit. All my life experiences has led to this moment and gave me an opportunity to have a job of my lifetime. And so I'm having fun every day. You have ups and down, up and down moments. But I have, uh, as we say in, 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 in the church world, my good days outweigh my bad days. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity for me to be able to give in the community 
bring all my collective experiences together and work for an incredible team, work with an incredible team, and work for an incredible leader. Well, I just love the way your whole life has come together to this pinnacle, certainly, that I see with Metro government. So, Vincent James, ecclesiastical entrepreneur, <laughs> social entrepreneur, outstanding community leader, and certainly a valued member of Louisville Metro leadership. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mayor Fisher. The Reverend Vincent James, the city's chief of community building, speaking with Mayor Fisher. Thanks for listening to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I'm Graham Shelby. Our producer is Joe Lord. You can subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are available. You can keep up with the mayor. He's in constant motion through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening once again to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast.